the young people are demonstrating that they have a real desire to get involved with mission, working for, for the Lord, being trained. And that's exciting. What do you say? Amen. So, there are all sorts of uh, youth endeavors taking place uh, around the globe. Because I think all of us sense that we are heading down the, the path that we have read about and studied about and believe in. Let me share something with you that I was in the other day in Japan, the airport, and when I was there, uh, all of a sudden I was struck with something that I hadn't thought about before, and that was that President Obama and all that's going on with politics and finances almost appears to me like the same kind of thing that happened with Joseph uh, in the Bible. And what came to me was that when Joseph was in prison, he was brought out of prison because there was a dream that took place by two fellows. Remember the two dreams? And uh, the one who bare the cup had forgotten that Joseph said, when you get into position, remember me. So, finally, the king had, or the pharaoh had a dream, and no one could interpret it, and they brought Joseph out. And uh, Joseph then went and interpreted the dream. And then they put Joseph in charge. You recall that? Now, what's interesting is that what I was impressed with was this. There were seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. Do you remember that? And during the seven years of famine, something interesting took place. People who didn't have anything to uh, eat with began to sell their possessions over to the government. And as they sold their possessions to the government, it finally placed the government in a position where they had control of everything, and then that's what brought about the slavery of the Israelites. Okay? Which is interesting because what's happening presently is that, that because of the financial meltdown, a lot of the private industries are asking the government to bail them out. So what's taking place is that the government is actually getting possession of the private sector. Which means then that the, the government is, is being placed in the position that can fulfill Revelation chapter 13. Which means then that you and I don't have a lot of time to work. So whatever we do now, we must do, it says what we don't do in times of prosperity, we will have to do in times of what? Adversity. So maybe what I was talking about this morning about being a... Uh, put in a position where you're persecuted may just happen. Huh? I think one amen on that, so. Which means that we're very close. In other words, uh, I'm going to just do something here for a moment. We're very close, and I think that that so many things are in place right now that could lead us into the final 
moments of earth's history that we've been told about that would transpire just before the coming of Christ. So I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but anyway, that's what I was impressed with when I was sitting there in the airport in Tokyo, Japan. Do you have any questions so far concerning what, how many of you were here earlier today? Okay. Do you have any questions about what we presented so far? Any questions? Question. Yes, ma'am. exercises or things that you can do to help shy people okay out? how do you get rid of this fear are there exercises that can be done to help shy people uh, one of the things that you first have to do is you have to bring about conviction okay in other words if you're going to go back to your churches and you got church, church people who are afraid don't think they can do it and all that one of the things that has to happen is that conviction must surface, okay? Because if a person doesn't feel conviction, he's not going to attempt anything. If there's conviction, they're willing to attempt something even though they're afraid. For example, many of you who are, who are here have attempted things not because you wanted to, but because you got convicted. Is that true? Okay. Once you follow the conviction, then God gave you a way of escape. Is that true? Amen. So, conviction must set in. And so what I do when I'm training people is I, I give information like the one I gave this morning, the first presentation, on uh, how to get rid of fear by, number one, raising the reality that there are misconceptions, number one. Number two, what the truth is, and number three, what does God want you to do with this now? Okay? Are you afraid? Are you, are you afraid? Yes. Do you, does God want you to continue to be afraid? No. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to put yourself in God's hands then, right? All right. So once you're in that position, then the next thing to do is to start training that person in something that succeeds. Okay? In other words, you don't want to put people in a position where they have to do something large that they're going to fail in. Example, uh, I had a young man who came to my training program when I was working as vice president with Amazing Facts. He stuttered, he was handicapped. His arms were kind of, and his hands were kind of uh, disfigured like this. His legs were kind of like this. And so he kind of just walked like this, okay? His face was kind of slanted. And so he was obviously handicapped. And the church sent them to our training program. And the first impression I had was, why did they send him to do evangelism since he stutters, etc.? And the Spirit of God rebuked me. And so I uh, said, well, he's here. I'm going to train him. I trained him. And he went back to his church. Didn't hear from him for a year. His name was Steve Pritchard. Finally, he calls me up 
And in his old stuttering way, he said, pa -pa 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 Pastor, can I, can I get my diploma? Well, in those days, it was a one-week training program, and we would not give a certificate until they actually went and did the evangelistic meeting. Okay? So he said, I, I, I did my meeting. So I said, well, what happened, Steve? He said, ten, 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 ten souls were baptized. And uh, I said, how many? <laughs> he said, ten, 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 ten souls. So I said, hey, Steve, send me some pictures. You know, down in Thomas, send me some pictures, you know. So, so I got these, these uh, ten pictures. I got these pictures. And you know what's interesting? Not one of the persons was handicapped was baptized. Okay? The amazing thing is this, that he came from a church called Dover, Delaware, the Dover Church. I used to, that's where I first started working as a Bible worker in Dover, Delaware, see? And I knew the church well, but uh, adjacent to, or part of the district was a little church that was out in the country, in the Amish country. And it was right next to a cemetery, and that was, that was happening to the church. You understand? In other words, it was close to the cemetery, and the people were, uh, they were of a different ethnicity, uh, and I'm talking, uh, Moravians. And uh, they had immigrated a long time before, and, and their, their kids were already Americanized, and so their kids were moving away. So the old folk were dying off, and that's the way the church was going, okay? So where did they put Steve to hold a meeting? At the church of 200 members? Or at the little church? You know where they put them? At the little church. So how much potential was there for success? Hmm? You got the church that's dying, you understand? Uh, what do you want to do? Put a person where they're going to fail or put a person where they're going to succeed? So where did they put them? But the success was even greater then. You see? And so, uh, they put him in a small church that's dying. He baptizes ten folks, or ten folks are baptized from his meetings. And then another church heard about his success and, and said, send him over here. We want to have him come and preach over here. Well, the wonderful thing also, uh, they told me, uh, again, another case where Steve never stuttered when he got up to preach. Yeah, he, he was fluid. But when he got down... He turned back into the frog. When he got up, he was a prince. You understand what I'm saying? So, so the Lord's Spirit was able to what? To move upon him and use him. Uh, so the problem is that if you put somebody where they have a greater potential to failure, that is discouraging to a person. So uh, you train, then you assign. You train and then what? Assign. You assign. You got to give them something to do. And give them something to do that can succeed. If you do that, then that person will get encouraged, and then uh, they'll grow and grow and grow. If you don't do that, then they'll fail. And once they fail, they get discouraged, and they fail. Well, I guess God can't use me. And that's the way where it ends. And that's where there are a lot of people are today. They feel God can't use them, and so why even try? The reality is that God can use them. All right? Does that answer your question, madam? Okay. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, thank you. For the privilege we have to be here together to study. Bless us and lead us in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this section, or this part, is uh, dealing with the uh, decision. Okay? Now, when we're talking about getting decisions, 
there are several things that have to be considered in this aspect of, of decision. Whoops, I got thrown off here. I gotta do that, get rid of that. Start like the whole second. What's that? I thought it's part of it. Yeah. Part one, part two, part three. Okay. All right. Well, this threw me off. So let me uh, let me just turn off my. Uh, Wire, wireless, and they won't do that to me again. Okay, this is part one of uh, recognizing conviction and gaining decisions. So, there we are. Okay. When you're dealing with this whole area of gaining decisions, the first thing that you have to recognize is that of getting close to an individual in order to lead a person to a decision. Which means then that you have to seek to ascertain where the person is in their spiritual, emotional, and social experience, okay? Number two, understand that people are in different stages or cycles of life. They are not all marching to the same drumbeat, all have different needs. Number three, this means that an effort must be made to come close to the potential candidate in order to determine where they are in their spiritual walk. And number four, change is inevitable, therefore you have to be observant. So let me explain what I'm saying by this. In order to help somebody make a decision in favor of Christ or in favor of whatever uh, position you're encouraging them to take, you have to recognize that knowing the individual is paramount in this process, number one. Number two, also recognize that people are different and therefore the same method does not necessarily uh, reach everyone. Okay. Number th three, uh, it means that you have to get acquainted, and number four, people can change. Now, what do I mean by people can change? When you're working with souls, when you're working with individuals, persons, that you're trying to lead spiritually speaking, you have to recognize that the Spirit of God is able to change somebody overnight. So you cannot uh, determine that everybody's going to walk at the same speed and everybody's going to grow in the same way, spiritually speaking. Okay? Now, having said that, people basically are found in three categories. When I do ministry, I've categorized. I what? Categorize. Okay. And the reason for categorizing, uh, you'll understand in just a moment. First of all, there are people who need to have the seed sown in them. The what? Seed. And when I'm speaking about the seed, I'm speaking about the Word of God. <coughs> you remember in Matthew 13, Jesus uses a parable about the seed uh, is uh, sown and it falls by the wayside, of, by stony ground, etc. Do you remember that? Okay. And so, the seed is the Word of God, or the Gospel. Alright? 
There are people who, even though we're saturated here in America with religion, where you hear it on television, on radio, etc., there are churches everywhere, yet there are many people who grow up who are a-religious. In other words, they don't have any interest in religion. Uh, they're foreigners to spiritual uh, influences. And so, those people are in the seed category. Then you have people who are in the, so in the cultivating category, pardon me. These individuals are people who already have some knowledge, some spiritual knowledge, but who need to be nurtured, who need to be helped to grow, spiritually speaking. Okay? Then you have people who are in the harvest category. These people have enough knowledge, but do not, for some reason, make their decision. Okay? For example, I was at a GYC in Baltimore. How many of you were in Baltimore at the GYC? Do you remember that? Okay. And I was asked to hold a, a meeting like this on decisions. And I noticed a, a lady in the audience, and I, ca I called her up to, to help me t in, the, in, that, in the illustration up in front. I was, wanted to give a demonstration, which I'll do for you here. Uh, long story short, when she came up and I asked her the question, what would keep you from uh, giving yourself to the Lord, she simply said, I'm not good enough. Okay? So when I walked her through the process, she finally made a decision. Right there on the stage. Well, the audience then realized that this was not a role play. This was reality. It was actually happening. Now, this lady was an attorney uh, and had been away from the church for years. She, her friend had invited her to GYC because as children, they were together in Jamaica in Sabbath school. And once they left Jamaica, they hadn't seen each other for years, even though they kept in touch. So the girl who was coming to GYC since it was Baltimore, the lady was doing her business down in, in uh, Washington, D.C., that would be a great place to invite her and to see her again after so many years. And she decided to bring her friend into my seminar, which was providential because then that day her friend decided to give her heart to the Lord. Okay. And so that lady did not need more information. She needed to be brought to a place where she could make a decision. Do you understand what I'm saying? So she would be in which category? The harvest. Well, if you meet with somebody who's a Baptist, Pentecostal, etc., where would they be? What category would they be in? Cultivating, exactly. And if you deal with an atheist, where would you put them in? So, okay. Very important for you guys to recognize uh, categorizing. Now, this is not arbitrary, yeah, but you may ask the question, how do you, how do you know how to categorize? Okay. Well, it is simple. You ask questions. You ask what? Questions. questions. And one of the things I do when I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane or I don't know the person, I begin to ask questions. Basically, the questions have to do uh, with their family, their spiritual life, and their job or work. Okay? Not necessarily in that order, but, but those three things. So I may say, so where are you from? I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. Vancouver, British Columbia. You've always lived there? No, I grew up in Nova Scotia. You grew up in Nova Scotia? That's right. And you translated to Vancouver? Uh, 
Well, you're trying to get away from the snow? <laughs> very good, actually. Huh? That's very good. You're very smart. That's exactly what I did it for. <laughs> That's exactly why you did it. <laughs> it's temperate. Okay. There, yeah. Good man. I've been to Nova Scotia, so I know what, what's, what, what it's like up there. Halifax. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So I know the difference. I've been to Vancouver also. And know the difference between paradise and the North Pole. Uh, and so, so what, what, uh, what kind of work do you do? Are you a student? Or? I'm a full-time student. Yeah. Full-time student? Yeah. Professional student or just a full-time student? <laughs> um, I've done some, I do some trade work because my father does it, so uh -huh. I've been doing it since I was younger. And uh, I worked for the corner service as well. Okay. Excellent. So, I, I won't assume, but as, as a child, your parents took you to what church? Baptist. The Baptist, okay. So, you grew up as a Baptist? Yes. And, are you still a Baptist? No, sir, I'm not. You're not a Baptist. So, what are you now? I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Okay, so Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Well, so, when did that happen? Four months ago. Four months ago. By baptism. We say amen. Okay. Amen. So, what am I doing? What's your name? Drew. Hmm? Drew. D-R-E-W. W, okay. <laughs> Want to make sure how to spell it. Yeah. Okay. So, Drew, uh, now I know that he's a full-time student. I know that he uh, grew up in Nova Scotia, but uh, fled uh, the snow and went down to uh, Vancouver. And uh, that, just four months ago, he was baptized into the Adventist faith. We pray, praise the Lord for that, okay? So, asking questions. Asking what? Questions. questions. Help me now to know something about Drew, which then helps me to, to realize that he's in what category? Well, four months ago, he would have been in what category? Harvest. Now he's off the charts, because now he's, he's a missionary, right? That's right. All right. <laughs> okay. What's going on? All right. Anyway, just let it proceed. So, getting acquainted with people helps you to know where you can put them. Okay? Now, the importance of this is this. I do not want to treat a Baptist or Pentecostal, etc., as a person in the soap category. That would be insulting to somebody who feels that they know the Lord or, or have some religious experience to be treated like an atheist. Right? And the same, same token, uh, I need to recognize what people, where people are because I have discovered that many people actually are already in the harvest category. All that needs to happen is that you need to uh, discover that and lead them to a decision, okay? So for me, categorizing uh, helps me to know what approach to take with that individual. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes? All right. So, I don't launch into something immediately. Uh, even if I discover that they're religious, I may ask a few questions and help you to know where they are in their religious experience. You understand what I'm saying? For example, I was on the plane with a lady, and we began to chat, and she happened to be a Catholic. And as we chatted, uh, she then 
uh, began to tell me how frustrated she was with her faith. And she told me that she was just in New York City. Her father had died. She went for the funeral and had asked the priest how much would it be uh, to perform a mass. And the priest said $600 for the mass. And she said, uh, she, got, she got angry and she said, uh, I didn't ask how much was the church. In other words, I didn't want to buy the church. All I wanted to do was have a mass. And the priest then said, it'll be $600. Well, she felt stuck. So she had, she bought the mass for her father, and, but was not a happy camper when she left. Do you understand? Okay. So as I began to talk to her, I discovered that this lady was searching. Was what? Searching. searching. Okay. But that's what you have to do when you are talking with people. You ask questions. You ask what? Questions. questions to find out where they are. Does that make sense for you? You got that point. All right. Now, next point. Shame on you. Let's see if I can... Okay. Next point. For those of you who bought the book, any of you have the book, Gaining Decisions? Yes. Okay. If you uh, turn it in your book, you'll find, uh, uh, I think it's page 28. You can check it, check on it. You have one there? It's page 27, so you have the chart there, okay? I'm actually walking through the book right now in my mind, so if you have your book, you can turn to it. If you don't, listen. All right. So here you have programs that have been devised for the purpose of sowing. Then you have programs that have been devised for the purpose of cultivating, and then you have programs that have been devised for the purpose of Harvesting. Can you see that? All right. Now, the reason why I've done this is because there are many programs that, that we have developed as a church to be able to sow, right? And they're usually dealing with felt needs. A person needs to quit smoking, they become the smoking program, and there you discover where they are in their spiritual life. Um, health expos, the same thing. Language schools, the same thing. Restaurants, etc. Okay? But then, once they have a spiritual interest, then you come to this uh, area where you have to give Bible studies or Daniel seminars, Revelation seminars. Radio and TV ministry can either be sowing or cultivating, okay? Then finally, at last, when it's all said and done, uh, the one-to-one -one is the final uh, bottom common denominator where you have to then sit with the person in, in that area. So you have the different programs for that purpose. Then, from there then, we have to remember that there are different approaches to reach people with. When uh, Jesus was in a certain house and they brought a certain man and that they could not get into the house, what did they do? Do you remember? They uh, removed the roof and lowered the man right into the presence of Christ. Now, what did the friends think was his greatest need? Physical or spiritual? Hmm? Physical. What did Jesus think his greatest need was? Spiritual. Jesus said, your, your sins be forgiven you, right? That correct? All right. Well, I turned off the wireless too late. But we'll continue, and then when it behaves, we'll bring it back to par. Okay. 
So, the, the people thought that his need was physical, Christ thought his need was spiritual. Let me give you an example. I was one time in a church uh, pray, uh, doing the prayer meeting for his church, and at the conclusion of that prayer meeting, I made an appeal. And the first person that responded to that appeal happened to be somebody who could barely stand up. And I discovered the reason why afterwards. Uh, it was because he was uh, what you call a street person. And he was a derelict or an alcoholic, or some people use the term bum. And so I noticed when I was making an appeal that he kind of was, was doing this, you know, trying to get up, up on his feet. You understand what I'm saying? Finally stood up. Then other people responded. And at the conclusion, there was a, uh, a certain... Uh, co-porter who told me the story. He said, I was, uh, I was reading my Bible when uh, waiting for the, for the church to open when I felt my car like uh, I was in an earthquake. So I looked over and, and there was this fella who had fallen on my car and was slipping off the, the front fender down into the gutter. So I got up and, and discovered who he was. And but at that time the door opened. I didn't want to miss prayer meeting because I knew you, that you were coming to speak. So he said, I didn't know what to do. So uh, I picked him up, kind of uh, brushed him off and took him inside the church. And I thought, I'll listen to the sermon and after it finishes and I'll take care of him. <laughs> so he took him, he sat him in the back uh, by the wall. And so he brought him up to me and the fellow just reeked. I mean, he just reeked. Uh, with, with a terrible odor. Uh, urine, you know, his clothing were, was saturated with urine. Uh, his face was cut up. Uh, it was just a terrible mess. Anyway, the co-porter said, he, he, he responded, did you see that? Well, I didn't think much about that, to be honest with you. Because the person in that condition where he's kind of standing like that, kind of looking at you, and his eyes are kind of, you understand what I'm saying? I didn't think that anything was actually going on. I was wrong. Because what happened was that the co-porter took him home because the fellow said, I want to quit drinking. The co-porter took him home. Uh, the fellow took a shower, gave him a change of clothing and all that, stayed with the co-porter for several months, and uh, that was it. He had been 10 times to a hospital to be detoxified, and it had failed. He heard the message one, one night and responded. So his greatest need was what? Spiritual. Spiritual. He had never known that God loved him. And that night, I preached the message, uh, the worth of a soul. And when he heard that message, it so touched his heart that he decided if God loved him that much, he needed to clean up his life. And he did. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, you have to be observant. You have to be what? Observant. Okay. Now, let's move on then. As, uh, in order for us to be observant, we need to help with the Holy Spirit. And so in order to, for us to be effective workers, let's consider the way the Spirit of God works and what He does. First of all, I want you to know that Paul, when he was working in his work, came across a certain individual. And I want you to notice the wording there. Notice what it says. Paul who steadfastly beholding him, and what's the next word there? Perceiving, Perceiving that he had what? Faith. 
faith to be healed. Now think about that. Paul had antennas that could pick up how much faith somebody had in order to be healed. In other words, if Paul had sensed that this fellow did not have enough faith, would Paul have told him to stand up? Yes or no? No. no. So obviously then, he had the ability to perceive. To what? Perceive. perceive. All right. Now, notice this, this statement. We need, what's the next uh, two words? Divine. Divine what? Intuition that we may know how to work for souls ready to perish. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think of mom or dad, who do you say has intuition? Mom. <laughs> now, did the guys say mom also, or is it just the girls? How many of you say mom? Can I see your hands? How many of you say dad? Can I see your hands? Well, all right. Mom has it. And, and that usually is the way it is. Now, you may ask the question, why is it that women seem to have intuition? Well, I believe it's because God has given them the responsibility to raise children. And God has, has to give them the extra ability to be ahead of the game. Have you ever asked the question of your mom, how did you know that? And all she could say is, I don't know. I, I had a hunch. Right? I had a what? A hunch, okay. But notice when it comes to soul winning, what do we need? Divine. divine intuition. If it's divine, is it something that I have? No. Is it something that God gives? Yes. <coughs> so, how does the Spirit of God work it? Let's consider the working of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I put together a list of texts just to make sure that we understand who the Holy Spirit is. Now, in respect of what you think the Spirit of God is, the Bible says that He, he is called God. He refers, is referred to as He. He comforts, He teaches, He testifies, He reproves, He guides, He hears, He speaks, He shows, He commands, He can be grieved, can be sinned against, can be quenched, brings to remembrance, makes intercession, gives power, a witness, and directed the New Testament church. Spirit of God, then, is not an essence or current, but is a person. And as a person of the, of the Godhead, He is able to uh, lead, convict, guide, direct, instruct, etc. Okay, now, this is a fact that, that the uh, people in Christ's day did not understand or know. So, when Nicodemus came to the Lord uh, by night, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be what? Born. Again, he cannot what? Now, I want you to know something interesting. This first phrase says, see the kingdom of God. Can you see that? Hmm? How many of you caught that before? Because the next one says, uh, except the man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Which means then that you first have to see before you can enter. So the Spirit of God has to give you the ability to see before you can have the ability to enter. All right? Now, 
Did Nicodemus understand what Jesus was talking about? You remember his, his, his response was, uh, you mean I need to go back into my mother's womb and come back out again? You remember that? So Nicodemus did not understand. But even though he did not understand, Jesus did not just give up on him. Notice what Jesus said to him again. The wind what? Bloweth where it lifted. And you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from when it's coming and where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the what? Spirit. Okay. So Nicodemus did not understand the spiritual aspects. And so Christ then used nature to help Nicodemus understand a spiritual lesson. So Christ now uses the wind. The what? Wind. The wind. And Christ simply says, just like the wind, which you cannot see, it blows where it wants to, and you cannot see, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Okay? Now, there are things in our life that we don't see, but we believe and accept. Is that true? For example, how many of you have ever seen gravity? Any of you? Gravity. Have you seen gravity? Has, does it exist? Can you feel gravity? Yes. Huh? Yes. There's not one of you who feels gravity. My apologies. If you don't believe me, stand up on the chair and step out of the chair and see if you feel something. Now, you don't feel anything. All you know is that you're falling. You don't feel a hand pushing your head down, do you? Do you? Huh? Only when I'm trying to dunk a basketball. No. You don't feel gravity. Gravity is not something that you feel. Gravity is something that you know is there. What you, what you feel is sensations that come to you based upon if you're flying and you happen to have, you happen to have a, you know, kind of a anxiety, etc. Or what you're feeling is G's then, okay? But there, uh, rarely do people feel, quote, G's unless you're really flying fast. Is that correct? In other words, I was up uh, doing some parasailing off the mountain in Switzerland, and uh, my friend wanted to uh, feel the G's, so, so he uh, decided to go around in circles as fast as he could, and he got up to two G's, okay? But generally speaking, you don't feel it. You just know it's there. Wind. The only way you know that the wind is there is if you either it's blowing on you, or you see the effects outside on something that's being blown. Is that true? Yes. You cannot actually see the agent. And so, look, look at what, uh, what, what's important here. There's a simple equation. A what? Simple equation. The wind represents the Holy Ghost. Jesus pointed out that he could, uh, he could not see the wind, yet he could discern his what? And his facts. He might never be able to explain the process of conversion. But, the, but he would be able to what? Discern. Discern his what? Effects, okay? Then we heard, he heard the sound of the wind, which blows for elusive. He could see the result of his actions. The operating agency was not revealed to view. No human reasoning of 
the most learned man can define the operations of the Holy Spirit upon the human minds and characters. Yet when they see the effects upon, uh, pardon me, yet they can't see the effects upon the life and actions. In other words, what's, uh, the simple equation here is this. When you're dealing with souls and you're trying to determine whether or not the Spirit of God is working, you have to recognize that though you cannot see the agent, you should be able to see some effects. Alright? So, a tree represents a man, the wind represents the, the uh, Holy Spirit. So, very simply then, if the tree moves, then what? Then the wind is what? Blowing. Conversely then, if the uh, tree does not move, then what? Then it's not blowing. Okay? Now, I don't know if you're following me so far. How many of you are already agreeing with me? Well, there's something that I'd like to add to that because uh, in the last days, I've read that we're supposed to be careful only if we have our feet planted firm upon the rock of the truth that we could be driven about by every wind of doctrine. So every wind of doctrine, so that the false doctrine too that's, that's a different. That's a different thing. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, yeah, that's different. But here we're talking about Christ himself saying, as the wind blows, so is the Spirit of God. So he's comparing here the wind to what? To the Spirit. That's different, Elliot. All right. So if the tree does not move, then what? Then the wind is not blowing. Okay, now, why is this important? As the wind moves upon its, uh, in its force upon the lofty trees and brings them down, so the Holy Spirit can work upon the human heart so no finite man can circumscribe. The word circumscribe corral or fenced in the Holy Spirit. Okay? You cannot see the operating agency, but you can see what? The effects. Okay? Are you understand what I'm saying then? So, Nicodemus does not understand, so Jesus then is saying, look, the Holy Spirit works in the same way that wind does its work. You cannot see the wind, but you can see its effects. So, if you're going to work with souls, one of the things that you have to do is develop the ability to see whether or not the Spirit of God is moving upon the individual. Okay? So, if there's no motion, then there's no blowing. Which means then that I have to then determine whether or not there's something in me that's hindering the Spirit of God from doing His work on the individual. Okay, number one. Number two, whether or not I'm actually explaining the thing in a way that the person uh, can get it. Or number three, whether or not the person themselves have something in their lives that resists the Spirit of God and therefore the Spirit of God cannot move upon them. Because the work of conversion comes from the Spirit of God converting. You and I cannot convert the person, it is the Spirit of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? But if the Spirit of God is the one that converts the person, then as I'm working with the person, as I'm giving Bible studies, as I'm preaching the Word, I have to be watching to see whether or not the wind is blowing. And if the wind is not blowing, then I have to ask myself, why? So then I pray, Lord, why is the person not moving? How many of you have given Bible studies or have shared with friends or neighbors and you have not seen any motion whatsoever? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, but see, I think that you're just 
a slick evangelist in terms of this seminar because sometimes people aren't interested in what you have to say, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a relationship with God. Elliot, let me, let me ask you a request. Since I'm talking to a group of people and it's being recorded, can I ask you not to, to speak or ask me questions when I finish? Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Like the wind, which is invisible, which is what? Invisible. invisible, yet the effects of which are plainly seen and felt is what? It's the Spirit of God in its work upon the human heart. That regenerating power which no human eye can see begets a what? A new life in the soul. It creates a new being in the image of God. Though we cannot see the Spirit of God, we know that men who have been dead in trespasses and sins become convicted, converted under its operations. The thoughtless and wayward become what? Serious. The hardened repent of their sins. The faithless believe. The gambler, the drunkard, the licentious become steady, sober, and pure. The rebellious and obstinate become meek and Christ-like. Do you see that these are different changes, correct? Now, here's the next point. It says, when we what? When we see these changes in the character, we may be assured that the converting power of God has what? Transformed the entire man. We saw not the Holy Spirit, but we saw the evidence. We saw what? The evidence of its work on the changed character of those who are hardened and have to write sinners. And so, what, what we're learning here is that when we're working with others, the Spirit of God actually impresses the individual, and while we cannot see how the Spirit of God is impress, impressing the individual, in other words, we cannot see the agent, we know that it's happening by the way the people are responding. So, there may be what we call body language, okay? For example, those of you who fly, how many of you have been caught in that uh, 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 security machine where you have to walk through it? Any of you? Huh? Okay. Do you know that, that now they have machines that have been developed that uh, they ask you questions and the machine is actually monitoring you to see whether or not your vitals are increasing? Yes, sir? Five minutes, okay. Your, your vitals are increasing. And what takes place is that as your vitals increase, they assume that you are a potential problem, okay? Now, if that's the case with human machinery, then what about the Spirit of God? So the Spirit of God then enables us to recognize, to pick out things. All right, now, so we need to learn to what? Watch, okay? We need to learn to watch the individuals. When I first became, became a preacher, I was not watching the audience. I was watching my notes. I was concerned about the rightness and the correctness of my delivery. But later on, I became aware that it was not so much that I needed to watch my content as to watch what's happening with the audience. Because many times then, 
The Spirit of God may be working in the audience, but if I'm not watching, I miss the opportunity. Alright? Or many times, people are making appeals when there's nothing there that's responding. And so, if I'm dealing with a Bible study student, if I'm dealing with doing a presentation up front, I need to learn to watch. I need to develop that ability to, to watch and to sense whether or not the wind is blowing. Okay? Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, Jesus himself watched. What did he watch for? Notice it says, the faces that express interest and pleasure gave him what? So as he was speaking, what was he doing? He was watching the, the faces. Okay? Then it says, as the arrows of truth pierce to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness, and working contrition, and finally rather to the Savior was made glad. All right. When his eyes swept over the throng of listeners, and he recognized among them the faces he had before seen, his countenance lit up with joy. He saw in them hopeful subject for his kingdom. In other words, as he spoke, he saw people return back to listen to him. That told him what? Now, these were candidates for the kingdom, all right? On the other hand, when the truth plainly spoken touched some cherished idol, Jesus marked, he what? He marked the change of countenance, the cold, forbidding look which told that the light was welcome. When he saw, unwelcome, pardon me, when he saw men refuse the message of peace, his heart was pierced to the very depth. So, was Jesus watching people when he spoke with them? Yes. Yes. What was he watching for? Movement. Movement. He was watching to see whether or not people were being moved by the Spirit of God and how they were responding to that prompting. Okay? Are you hearing me? All right. Now, he spoke directly to every what? mind and appeal to every heart. He watched the faces of his hearers, marked the lighting up to the countenance, the quick responsive glance that told that the truth had reached the soul and there vibrated in his heart the answering chord of sympathetic joy. So Jesus was watching. He was observing. He was wanting to make sure that it was hitting the mark, the target. Okay? While the wind is in itself invi- it's invisible, it produces effects that are seen and felt. So the work of the Spirit of, upon the soul will re- reveal itself in every act of him who has felt its saving power. No one sees the hand that lifts the burden, beholds the light descend from the courts above. The blessings comes when by faith the soul surrenders itself to God. Then that power which no human eye can see creates a new being in the image of God. In other words, my friends, when you and I are convicted... All right? It is an evidence that the Spirit of God is what? Working. So, when we're watching, we must watch for conviction. Must watch for what? We must watch for what? Conviction. Okay? And so, if we watch for conviction, then we will pick up and sense that people are being impressed by the Spirit of God. Alright? Now, the importance is this. Again, we cannot see the Spirit of God. But as I'm watching, 
I can sense whether or not something is happening inside. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was in the Philippines last year. We were doing an evangelistic meeting. It was a young lady who came and she had not made a decision. Her mother was already committed and because she limped, the daughter went to help the mother. We had about uh, 40 or 50 people with us from Europe and they were from Germany. The mother approached me and said, you know, my daughter has not made her commitment. Uh, would you be willing to, you know, get close to her? I said, I will. So we sat down together when the time was appropriate and so I began to talk to her. Uh, she said, basically, look, I don't want to be an Adventist. Uh, I have too many objections. I said, wonderful. I'd like to listen to those objections and, and uh, see if there are anything, any new objections that I'm not, not aware of. So she made a whole list with, you know, texts and all that. So we sat down and went through those texts. Fortunately, I knew those texts and I was able to help her with the objections. And uh, finally, when I got rid of all these, these objections, uh, I could sense and see that she was getting pretty, pretty nervous. You understand what I'm saying? And finally, she said to me, I don't want to become an Adventist. Okay? So, when she said that to me, I realized that she was under great conviction. Remember this again, great conviction, great reaction. Little conviction, little reaction. Okay? Great conviction, great reaction. Little conviction, little reaction. Right? So, I, uh, I began to smile. I said, why don't you want to be an Adventist? She said, I don't want to put my hair in a bun and wear long dresses. <laughs> so she had a misunderstanding about Adventism, right? I don't see any girl here with their hair in a bun, so we're okay. Oh, there's one. Okay. So I said, uh, I said whoever told you you, you need to uh, put your hair in a bun? She said, I don't want to be an Adventist. And so when she said that, I, I, I kind of you know, smiled. She said, what are you smiling about? And I saw little tears coming to her eyes. And I said, you know why one's smiling? She said, uh, she said, yeah, why? I said, because it's so wonderful to see the Spirit of God move on hearts. Amen. And then tears began to roll. Yeah. And I said, uh, I said to her, obviously, the Spirit of God is speaking to you, isn't he? She said, yes. And I said, so... What would keep you then from giving yourself to the Lord? She said, nothing. Okay? But I, I didn't have to fight with her anymore. Why? Because I, I saw what? Conviction. See, she wanted to argue about the bun and the long dresses and all that. But I already recognized that the Spirit of God was working in her, so there was no need to argue with her. It was just a matter of helping her to make the decision. All right? So we watch with conviction. Now, we need to stop now. Conviction is the voice of God speaking to the conscience. And the next class, we will continue with understanding how this conviction works, how to detect it, what are the indicators, their positive and negative indicators, and then what to do to help that person yield to that conviction. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC generation of youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, 
please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.